0: Run Romans chapter 15. Someone has your two Bibles? Tells what page it is on. 15. Was it? 949, 949 in your two Bibles. And what you have, we'll be starting at verse 14 and reading through verse 14 1. <laughs> 949. Please stand for the reading. God's <laughs> love. I have a stand for the reading. So, after we're doing reading, we go to here. Friends, these are not just words from an old book, these are the very words of God given to us by a spirit. Hear these words. sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus' then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything else except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been. Lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand these are the words of the Lord. Yeah. Life is short. Yes, it is. Life is short. Uh, except for Grandma Pat. Right? Okay. Life is short. Uh, I, I'm going to be hitting uh, 48 each passing year, maybe it's just one of those things that the older that you get, the more uh, the more you contemplate about life. It kind of starts with high school, you graduate high school and think, oh, what am I going to be doing, you know, where's my gift, where am I going to go to school, am I going to JJC, am I going to go into the trades, am I going to get a college degree in this or that, where am I going to go in life, and there's this real excitement as you look forward, and then you graduate college with a feels like a million dollars in debt, right? And then you start going, okay, what am I going to do in life? Where where am I going to get that first job and and then you kind of have get into relationships, you start working, you start going, okay, what am I doing here? What is this where I'm supposed to be going, you know? You wonder when you get to the end of this life that God has given you, and you wonder, you know, you start asking the question, am I serving <coughs> My life, the way I am supposed to. When When I stand before the Lord, when I come to the end, am I going to hear from him? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Well done. And you get this high five, these knocks from God. You've done it. You have been faithful with what I have called you to do. Even as we enter into this Advent season, these questions have a little bit more, they gain a little bit more intensity because our lives are kind of filled with activity and things and what should we be doing And add family to it, add work to it, add the end of the year to it, add all these kind of things. And you start wondering, how do I know whether I am wasting my life, my energy, and my time? Or am, what am I am doing? Is, is that really what matters in this life? What really matters? What do I want my life to count for? How, what, why has God placed me on this earth? What drives me to do what I do? July 2nd, I had a dear friend die after about a year of struggling with cancer, slogging it through. And as I preached at his uh funeral service, those questions just went through my head. When I come to the end my life, will what I have done matter? did I do it? Did I knock it out of the park? Will God say, well done. In America, we, we have many different yardsticks to measure our life, don't no? we? A lot of them. One of them is a yardstick of usefulness. Honestly, we're pragmatists at heart. We feel that if a person does something useful for society, useful for your family, useful in a real pragmatic way, whether it be a profession or a trade, he or she has spent their life well. You look at others and say, man, they look useful. They really look Another yardstick is, that we use is busyness, right? Or sheer activity. Do you feel it? The more you do and the busier your calendars, our, our, our lifestyles reflect, honestly, our values here, don't they? We are all busy people. There, if, if there's anybody here who goes, I, I really don't have much, yeah, I'm, I'm not that busy. You're rare, you're huge. Our weekly calendars feel like they are full to the ground, whether it be through work or family, (coughs) whatever it is, they feel full. We have the notion that if we just sit around and do nothing, that we are wasting our life, right? Another yardstick that we gauge our lives by is excitement or just uh, adventure. If we can't get it firsthand, we, we pick up the, the remote and we live vicariously through the television. We got some kind of activity. Our, our heroes lead exciting lives, either through romance or life and death kind of experiences. We read magazines that tell us about the rich and the famous, secretly wishing that our lives could be there. We generally think that money and fame define success. That could just be Chip or Joanna Gaines. Be like them! Oh! Often our world even recognizes that having a warm, having warm personal relationships is at the heart of a life well spent, isn't it? If I just had a husband, if I just had a wife, if I had a better husband, if I had a better wife, if my kids were just obedient and they would just come around me, fawning over every little thing that I give them. If you If you read the obituaries, usually they speak of a person's work and hobbies, don't they? But they also mention the people whose lives were affected by their dearly departed. As Christians, We would concur that loving relationships with the family and friends are an important measure of a life well spent. But is that it? Is that really what it's about? Creating warm, personal memories for your children to reflect upon mom and dad, remember when they did, remember when, is that it? Behind all of these yardsticks, it's about personal happiness. Even if a person dies poor and unknown, if he or she were just happy in this life of content, that's all that matters. And against these yardsticks, American yardsticks of a life well spent, I want to direct your attention to the Apostle Paul. And where he found himself most content, where he was making even not just where he was finding his boast, his boast. Romans 15, verses 14 through 21, Paul begins to close his letter to this church in Rome, and we get a window into the heart of this apostle as it relates to his passion, what is driving his passion and his mission in life. What is it that pushes him through where he finds his greatest joy and contentment? It comes at the heels of a chapter and a half on dealing with divisions and factions that are going on in the church. And it seems like Paul is reflecting on what really matters. What is it at the end of the day, at the end of this life, when we face God face to face, what is it that matters? And these verses help us to see his joy in the work of the gospel. And they invite us, especially in this Advent season, but even beyond, invite us to be challenged individually and corporately to do some soul searching. So I think to understand this section, you have to start at verse 17. Usually you go, oh, shouldn't you start at the beginning, verse 14? Sometimes people make their points at the very end. I think it starts at verse seventeen. It appears kind of be the main thought for the paragraph, and then we're going to do our little work around verse seventeen. And if you read it through kind of maybe fundamental Christian kind of eyes, it might feel a little startling or a little jarring. It reads like this: In Christ Jesus, then. I have reason to be proud of my work for God. There's something in our Christian culture where you get a demerit, a black mark uh, uh, written about you if, if there's any inkling of pride. Right? If there's somebody in your workplace and they're kind of walking around on. Oh. Like, mm-hmm. Have you seen what I've done? And start going, I don't want to be around you. You are the person that just drives me up the wall. You have pride issues. But here, what do we have? We have the Apostle Paul who says, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my word for God. So in the Christian workplace, if people have been avoiding the Apostle Paul going, dude, you're too full of yourself. Or would there have been something drawing about what he's saying? You see, Paul is not ashamed. We've already heard that before, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the very power of God. So he's not ashamed. He comes right out and he states that he is a proud man. And as we know, the gospel does not eliminate all boasting. It eliminates the wrong kind of boasting. For a Christian, the right kind of boasting is the joy that we have in what the gospel does through us and in other people. It is the boasting in what Christ has done for us. Paul's boasting was not a sinful kind of boasting because it was, if you look at the first three words, it is in Christ Jesus. He is boasting in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is looking at his life. It's coming towards an end. And it's even coming, this book is coming towards the end. So he's looking at his life, and he saw the work that Christ Jesus did for him and through him, and it brought him joy, deep satisfaction. In Christ Jesus, Paul had reason to be proud of the work that he did for God. Now hear this. Paul is not this guy that would put on a pillar and just say, well, that's unique to you. He's not just the minister type. that you say, well, ministers should be proud of their work that they do. This is something for each and every one of us. That we are to have this kind of pride in what God has done in us and through us. And we go, I am proud of the work that I have done. For God. You see, passion, love, and happiness are core drivers within the human heart, right? They're the thing that kind of drives us. These are God-given emotions designed to, to fuel your actions and sometimes even very radical actions. What is it? this passion, this, this, this love, this happiness? You are doing some really otherworldly kind of stuff because of what is driving you. The issue is not boasting or passion or or love or satisfaction. It is the object that it is connected to, the boasting. Love, passion, or satisfaction. In fact, I would argue that for many of us, and often my heart boast enough in what God has done in us or through us. We've become complacent. We've been kind of lulled to sleep when our churchy ended. We don't boast in what God has done in and through us. This text is a reminder that it is God who is at work. Any fruit or any success is because it is of him. Therefore, we need to remember that God is always, is always doing more than what we can ever see. God is doing more than what we ever see. And, honestly, he's also doing less than we'll ever know. There's that, that kind of balance that is going on here. Paul's ministry was not even labeled as successful everywhere that he went. In fact, some called him weak. And some called him uninspired, But yet Paul boasted in the Lord. So do you see how beautiful verse 17 really is? Do you realize why it is significant for Paul to say that he is proud of the work that he has done for God? The other beautiful thing about this is that when you are on the receiving end of this ministry, on the receiving end of this ministry, someone in the name of Jesus is ministering to you. Maybe they're not using, hey, I'm ministering to you in the name of Jesus right now. That's kind of corny and weird. But they are they are authentically as a believer. They are ministering to you, they are caring for you through their words, and through their actions, through their text, through their email, through that hug, and when you needed it the most. Through those words of correction, they are ministering to you. It is important for you to know that God is working in and through people all around you. In other words, if you have ever said, God, will you help me, will you help me know what to do? How many have ever said that? God, would you just help me to know what to do here? Help me figure this out. You have a pretty poor uh, prayer life right now, or you got some really pretty lives. (coughs) Now, would you just help me? Then all of a sudden, you get spiritual direction because it was through someone else's counsel, a a message, or maybe even a song. That is God's work in your life. is so significant that Paul says that it is in Christ Jesus? He's proud for his work? Well, I earlier said that verse 17 was kind of the main thought, and that, but there are other passages surrounding it that provide more kind of specificity, more targeted into what Paul is saying. Verses 15 and 16 and 18 and 19 are the reasons why Paul is boasting. So what do we learn from these about these verses. Well, first, listen to what it says in verses 15 and 16. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly as a way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel to God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What in the world does this mean? Well, verse 15, Paul is striking a very pastoral and a compassionate tone. He acknowledges that at one time he wrote very boldly, clearly, to this church in Rome. He is not apologizing at all. He's not saying, I'm sorry I wrote that way. He's not talking to you right now. But he is setting these words in a greater context of the greater mission to the Gentiles. In other words, Paul's appeal for the church to be welcoming one another, to be considerate of one another, and to follow the example of Jesus came from a bigger passion related to the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, the unreached people. In fact, in verse 16, Paul uses some Old Testament terminology, and even this offering type of language. He sees himself in a priestly role. And the Gentiles are, if you will, an offering to God. What's more, he he longs to see these Gentiles as being acceptable to God and sanctified by the Spirit. So he longs for these Gentiles, these unreached people, be an offering which is pleasing to God so he wants the Gentiles to be acceptable and sanctified and Paul sees his ministry as a means by which God is collecting people he's collecting people and not only is he collecting people he's presenting them to God worship Paul is looking and saying worship is going to be happening in new ways and beautiful ways profoundly because of the ministry that he is performing. And he's boasting in that. Look at this. Through me, God is reaching unreached people. You, Roman church, he's reached some of you. He's reaching these people in Thessalonica. He's reaching these people in Galatia. He's reaching these people in, in, in Philippi. He's reaching these people. And through Participate in what God is doing, and I'm able to not collect them. Just for me, I'm doing one of these. is saying. Oh, and oh, worship is happening now in profound and beautiful ways. This church is looking really beautiful. Listen to the new tongues mm-hmm. that are singing worship. To how they are ministering in the workplace because of the gospel of God. Look at what they are doing because of this ministry. Thanks be to God. I am making my boast in Christ Jesus for what he has done in and through me. Praise be And the second reason that Paul is, is making this boast is found in verse 18. And it starts with the word Anytime you get those those words for or because or therefore, they (coughs) signify something is going on. And this is focused on kind of on this word obedience. For I will not venture to speak of anything, anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled, I love that word, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Remember verse 18, immediately follows verse 17, right? And he just said, I am really proud of my work." Now we get a clear sense of why he's proud. He explicitly says he's not speaking of anything except about how Christ has worked through him in order to bring about obedience in the Gentiles. When Paul considers what he is proud of, that is it. He is seeing lives that are being conformed to the gospel. Look at what is happening. Paul has witnessed Gentiles turn from disobedience, lives that are a mess apart. In fact, they are in rebellion to God, and they are being turned from that disobedience to obedience. And he gotta see it firsthand. See that transformation take place. Obedience expressed in the life of another person is beautiful to behold. And friends, it does not happen like that. It is over the course of a lifetime that God takes a broken, messed up guy like right me. And he says, well, every day, as you rely on me, I'm going to make you look more and more and more and more like my son, Jesus Christ. Every day. And the same is with you. So when you find yourself frustrated with another person, because they're not as obedient as they should be, God goes, hold on a second, let's back up the bus. (laughs) Here's a mirror. Let me show you your life, and you are a work in progress like everybody else. Don't be contented, stay where you're at, but look, you are a work in progress. You are becoming more and more obedient. You are looking more and more like my son, Jesus Christ. So you know what? Instead of complaining about them, how about you thank God for what he is doing them? Thank God. Remember where they were. Where they are right now, and you need to thank God for them. So Paul's original goal, even in verse chapter 1, verse 5, was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name through all the nations. So according to verse 19, Paul saw this obedience happening through word and deed, by the power of signs and by the power of the Spirit of God. So through his ministry, he witnessed this powerful transformation, ongoing transformation as well. Shouldn't that be my goal as a pastor to see in your life this ongoing transformation? Shouldn't that be your goal if you are a parent to see this ongoing transformation in your children's lives, in your grandchildren's lives, your great-grandchildren's lives? Shouldn't that be your goal, our goal as a community (coughs) of parents that we look at one another and just long to see this ongoing transformation in each other's lives? Paul wanted to see the Gentiles embrace biblical obedience as he sees himself and his ministry as a conduit through which God is accomplishing his plan. Each of you are a conduit through which God is accomplishing his plan. It does not happen right here in the pulpit. I am not the sole mediator. God does not choose to work only through the pastor of the church. Got it? He is working in and through you to accomplish his plan. Paul is surveying his ministry from Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of Christianity, to Illyricum, which is in present-day Albania. And Paul is seeing God working to accomplish his will through his ministry. And what is Paul doing? Paul is rejoicing in the sweeping scope of what God has done. <coughs> Praise be to you, God. Very Jerusalem, Albanian. Seriously? There is no way I could have done it. And what is God doing? He is transforming hearts and lives. Through a ready soul. Willing. Paul saw his ministry as, as fulfilling the heart of God in Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. Where Israel was to be a shining light to the Gentiles as they were just streaming to Jerusalem. Listen to this. Listen to Micah 4. It shall come to pass in later days, latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of mountains. And it will be lifted above the hills. And the people shall, I love this word, shall flow to <coughs> it. They're not dribbling in. It's not like church on Sunday morning. They're flowing in. They are just from everywhere, nooks and crannies. These people are just coming out of all other places. And many, many nations shall come. And people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come, and they shall say, come. Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. So as they are coming to church to worship God, they're going, come on, come on. We get to see. We're going to be taught the ways of God. We are going to hear from the very mouth of God. And then it says, we're out of Zion. Shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. (coughs) And this is what Paul is proud of. This is what he is boasting in. God is bringing salvation and obedience to all nations. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. We we believe, we say it. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. He boasts that Gentiles are going to be this offering to God. And his ministry is the means by which God is accomplishing his plan to reach the nations. Do you do you see this reality and vision for our church? Do you? No, not through Paul. Come on. Do you see this vision in reality for our church? God is still in of bringing in people to himself and crowing them up in obedience. There is, friends, there is still an, an offering which is to be presented to God. Still today, here in New Lenox, Mokina, Frankfurt, you, you name it, Michigan, even Michigan, you know, the Dutch a little enclave of craziness. Across this world, God is still in this business, and He is. There's the offering that is be acceptable and sanctified. So my question for you, and I want you to maybe you need to write this down right now. This question, and I pray that it kind of haunts you over this week, especially as we we, you start thinking about all the Christmas activity and the things that you've got to be doing. Write down this question: Who is in your offering? Who is in my offering? Paul's going, listen, I've got a list from Jerusalem to Albania. I I can list names. And I love how even if we get to the very end of of many of the letters, you you see, even in in Romans chapter 16, greet this person, 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 greet this person. And if you look at most of the people in Romans chapter 16, all these people have like Roman or Greek names. And Paul's going, I've got a resume of people that I've presented as an offering to God. These people are are sanctified. They're growing in their obedience. And Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, who is in your offering? Who is it that you are saying, you know what? This is the work of my ministry. These are the lives that I am engaged intentionally engaged in, not casually, not just rubbing up things. I am intentionally engaged. I know them by name. I pray for them by name. I know their family or personal circumstances. I am ministering through them to them for, through the work of prayer. I am ministering to them through the work of kind gifts, financial or or for food. I am looking into their lives with pouring into their lives through kind words and gentle corrections. I am offering to them the most beautiful gift of salvation as found in Jesus Christ. Paul's joy in gospel work and his boasting in Christ came from what he saw God do through. And I am willing to bet if you say this is the person, or these are the people that I am, I am being intentional about offering to God and God chooses in His will to say, yes, sit What's going to happen to your heart? Are you going to, ah, I've seen that happen a thousand times. But, or do you go, Pray hey, good God, I make my boast in Christ Jesus. Because look at what He has done. You find your joy and your satisfaction in what God is doing through His people. So there are implications, friends. As we are conduits for God's work, there are implications for our church. And the three verses that are left are verse 14 and 20 and 21. Verse 14 relates to the internal ministry of the church, and 20 and 21 refer to the external ministry of the church. Verse 14 is kind of placed over verse 17, but I think it's really part of the overall implications patience that Paul has in mind. Paul sees something in them which gives him great joy and the reason to pose, I myself am satisfied about you. That you yourselves are full. Do you see that right there? I'm satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters. That you yourselves are what? Full of goodness and filled with How much? All knowledge, all knowledge. And not only that, you are able to instruct one another. I love it, I love it, this takes the pressure off of me. This is, uh, boom, this is yours. Paul does not mean that the church is perfect in any way. That'd be silly. He does not mean full in the sense that they lack nothing. Instead he is saying that he has absolute spiritual confidence in them that they are able to minister to each other effectively. They are able to spiritually care for each other. If you are looking for me to be your sole spiritual care provider, you are missing it. This body is meant to care for each other. And you have everything that you need to do that. In other words, Paul When he considered the church in Rome, he believed that they had the spiritual resources. They were filled with goodness, and they were filled with all knowledge in order to help one another to grow spiritually. So the person that you are sitting next to you has all the resources that they need to help you grow. Believe it or not, that person, that person, that person, Person in the back, person in the front, the person not sitting here this morning. They have all the spiritual resources needed to help you grow. And this becomes especially clear with the statement. They are able to instruct one another. Paul wanted them to know that he was not the only capable one of giving instruction. It's not about me. In fact, Paul was. And itinerant ministry, where he was on the road 99.9% of the time. The Paul's going, you can't rely on me, I'm gone. But you have, <coughs> you have in that church, all that you they could and should do that to one another. This word instruct means pastoral admonition. It means to give counsel, to it means to even warn one another. Paul says that this is the way that you are going to care for one another. When it comes to the work of ministry, there were spiritual resources within that body that should be used. He did not want the church in Rome to think that their only hope was the apostle Paul or a pastor Paul or some other apostle Paul that would come along their church, to their church. He wanted them to embrace the fact that they could and should do ministry to one another. Friends, that is your call. If you are looking solely to the elders or deacons or the pastors to do spiritual care for you, you're missing. You would never look to the hand to just do all the work for their body. You would never look just for the eyes to do all the work of your body. Why do you look to me? When God has given you a rich and beautiful body, right here. So friends, I want you to be equipped. want you to see how the Bible can be applied to your life so that you can help other people. We want you to see the joy of being a part of the work of ministry in someone else's life. We want you to, to see that there is a you have a level of competency that you will be able to help other people grow and to change. You see, if we believe that, it is God who works through us. And if we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks through the word of God, then we ought to be inclined to speak into each other's lives. This should be happening in our existing relationships. Right now. So if there's any of you who are hurting, lost, disillusioned, broken, tired, don't me. This room. Do that for a second. Look around this room. talk to you. Make eye contact. No, really. Make eye contact. Some of the eyes that you've looked into. Paul not only wants to see this this work of the gospel to take place within the church, where it's rich and vibrant, and there's encouragement, and there's growing up, and where people are becoming more obedient to uh, and looking more like Jesus Christ. Paul going, "Yes and Amen." But Paul says that's not it. He, he not only wants to see that happen there in the church in Rome, but he also wanted to extend to those people who have never heard the gospel. Never heard the gospel. The joy of his heart was to see the church healthy. Right? But also, the mission of the gospel, expanding. Look at verses 20 and 21. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on, on someone else's foundation. For it is written, those who have never heard, have been Hold of him, we'll see, and those will who and those who have never heard will understand. Paul has his sights set on Spain. You can look in, in chapter 16. His eyes are set outward. And, and why? Because it was an area where the gospel had not been preached. It was fresh, until land. A bunch of pagans. Paul was motivated to preach the gospel there because he longed, I love this, he longed for more people to be an offering to God. So friends, you live in neighborhoods. You, 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 get your, you get your tail out of bed Sunday morning, you, you make it here by... 825 or 925 or 931 or somewhere in there And but yet you have driven by home after home after home of people who do not believe the gospel believe it or not there are people in our area who do not believe in Jesus Christ and their Lord and Savior do you believe it? but yet we casually just drive by There are people, I have a friend who is in Australia and he is a pastor of an Anglican church there and he is grieving that their country just this past week voted for same-sex marriage and on top of that, they voted for the legalization of euthanasia that a person can just casually go into their doctor ask for a pill and they can close down their life at their own. And he said there are people in his nation on his street who do not have a clue Sense of Christmas. They have no clue what Christmas is. They have no clue what Easter is. What? We have friends that we have sent to Nigeria. We have the Ambroses, who are located in what country? Cambodia. Cambodia. Cambodia where the name of Christ has not been preached in many areas. But it's not just for those missionaries friends, it is for us. Paul is motivated. His motivation for saying that he is so passionate for, for this is because he wants to see the gospel expand. He wants to see it go out. He wants to be a part of the bigger picture of God. And that is why he quotes Isaiah 52 and verse, verse 21. Paul loves the gospel. Do you love the gospel more than you love your own sense of a really nice picket fence kind of American family that gets to enjoy all these kind of Christmas gifts and all kinds of nice little neat family things. Do you love the gospel more than that? Do you? Because if you did, friends, you would be saying, here's my offering. I am praying for, I am working, I'm investing in this life because the name of Christ has not been declared here yet. This person does not know Jesus has not claimed Jesus, and I am praying for it. I love the gospel because what he has done in me, and I desire my friends, my family, my neighbors, my co-workers, my students that I I, I teach, the people that I am a social worker for, that I teach art for, that I am doing this for and that for. I love the gospel so much that I am willing to penetrate these dark places Jesus, come. Come into their lives. Make it so. I cannot bear to know that for eternity, if they would die today, that they would, Lord, would be separated from you. I want them to know the joy of salvation. I want them to know a peace that passes all understanding. So God, would you make me happy in I want to be happy, and I want to be joyful, and I want to be proud in the right sense. So friends, I want to give you an action point. I get no commission off of this. But I want to encourage you, write down this book title. It's a book called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Don't Waste Your Life. It's about how to lose your life for Christ's sake, and therefore, you don't waste it. Honestly, I wish I would have read this book when I was way younger. So whether you are young or old, you will find a profitable use for your time. We cannot afford to waste our lives anymore. We cannot afford, as a church, and as individuals to be satisfied and be lulled to sleep by our culture. Fathers, you can't be lulled to sleep with the satisfaction of work. We're making a really nice, pretty thing. Wives, you can't be content with doing the work that you have in the workplace and raising really nice, pretty <clears throat> kids and grandparents. You can't be just lulled to sleep just making your grandkids happy. You can't be lulled to sleep finding satisfaction in your work or your freedom. We're to arms here to make our boasting Christ. for what He's doing in and through us, and to see that gospel going out. There. You want your life. What do you want to boast in? Maybe you need to make just some (coughs) short-term But You know what? Maybe at the end of my life, I want to make my boast in that my kids this and that and this. How 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 about December 30th? Or she gave away a sort of <coughs> Or will you make your boasting one that's similar to the Apostle Paul's? He said, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud, satisfied, joyful,